I want you guys to track with us to where we're landing at today, because what we're going to share with you guys today, much like last week, will be a launching pad for moving forward in the next several months of some serious development, growth, uh, and everything that we want to do with you guys. So track with me here. So for a few months ago, we started on correcting the thoughts and lifestyles connected to striving for righteousness, right? We, we fixed the understanding that our righteousness, that our what we called forensic righteousness, comes only from Yeshua. Amen? Amen. Are y'all awake this morning? Yeah. You with? Come on. Come on, man. He's here with me. And then, as we came to understand just how much it means to be not only imparted with the righteousness of Christ, but then we talked about being labeled the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? And so we're growing, guys. We're growing from an understanding of not only just where our righteousness comes from, but then the identity that we end up carrying from there. We then went straight into doubling down on the subject of living in the revelation of sonship. That we are not only servants, slaves, or disappointing sons, but that we are redeemed and beloved sons and daughters who please the Father and are the very righteousness of our God in Christ Jesus. So then that led us to last week. And last week, last week we came and admonished every one of you in this room, Pastor Devin and I, that we are going to pick back up the original things that we were taught because it wasn't a method problem that Remnant Church had from the start. It wasn't that our methods were poor. It wasn't that we had poor teaching. We have teachings that have been proven to work from the scriptures and from only heaven and its scriptures that have been proven to work in every single one association church. Isn't it comforting to have brothers and sisters literally all over the world where you can see their way of life, that you can see that it's borne fruit in their lives, that we can have a brother come from life-changing ministries, come and sit with us for weeks, and it's literally like picking up where he left off. Amen? Well, then, church, as we are transitioning from last week's message, admonishing every one of you to not only return to your first love, because that's what we've been doing for a few months now, but then to return to the deeds that you did at first, like Yeshua spoke to the church at Ephesus. Today, church, we are speaking a message to you called Follow Me. Somebody say, Follow Me. Thank you. Pastor Landon gets the hot mic today. Our first, our first scripture today is going to be out of Matthew chapter 4. Take a look at that with me. When you get to Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 18 and say there when you're there. There. You awake, Miss Chloe? Yeah. Amen. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 says, Now as Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And he said to them, follow me. Say follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Immediately. 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 They left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat of their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left their boats and their father and followed him. Oh, wow. Church, our message today is called Follow Me, and I think we're going to say it so many times today, you will go home with it reverberating in that space in between your ears. Amen? Amen. We are going from a time where God has been theologically and in terms of our hearts repairing and rewiring some things. We're able to come back into this time where we, where we have a confidence in sonship. Right? But sometimes what can happen in a confidence of sonship if you know who you are, but you don't know what you are meant to do, then you can be found spoiled and believing that everything is just owed to you. What do we call that? That's called entitlement. Have you ever met an entitled child before? An entitled son? An entitled man or woman? Our generation is full of them. Full of them. Entitled people. Well, we're not entitled sons and daughters. We do hold the title deed of everything that is our father's, but we are not entitled so much as to think that we don't get the opportunity, so much to think that we are not blessed with the opportunity to get up and do the will of our father. And so what is, what is that called, church, whenever you're following Jesus? You're following Jesus, but then you walk into a local church and God places you in a family and then he teaches you how to walk with others and walk with him. That's called discipleship. Discipleship is a word that you don't necessarily see in your Bible, not in that, not in that form. But it is a concept that we're able to grasp that whenever Jesus said to go and make disciples, teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you to do, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. We at Remnant Church take this very seriously. And our call to you today, church, is follow me. And that means, yes, get up and follow Yeshua. But we're also saying, follow me as you can see my way of life. And we're going to dig into that some more today. Consider these just couple, these few different references of those times where God's called out to a man, where God called out to a man or to a woman right there where they were at, regardless of their circumstances, and said, get up and follow me. Get up and come with me. Get up and go and do everything I've called you to do, whether or not you feel like you're empowered to do it yet. In Judges chapter 6, a personal favorite of mine. Verse 11, it says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was at Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite. And as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites, 
the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant or O mighty warrior. I'm not even including the rest of the scriptures there to, because it's not at this point worth reading. The rest of it was him arguing, him trying to give every reason why he wasn't competent for the task at hand. Whenever Jesus called out in Matthew chapter 4 to, his, to, to John, I'm, I'm sorry, to Peter and Andrew and then James and John, he didn't ask them for a resume. He didn't ask them for all the things that they've done right or wrong in their life. He didn't ask them if whether they come from a ministry family or whether they've been um, or whether they've been worshiping other gods their whole lives or whether their work and their jobs and their businesses are idols for them. He just says, follow me. That's just exactly what the same thing that he said to Gideon. Or consider what God spoke to the prophet Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. <coughs> Excuse me. The son of Amittai saying, arise, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. So we went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down and into it to go with them to, Char to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Guys, do you know that whenever we make, Landon shared a funny video with me yesterday, when we make everything a salvation issue, like I'm going to do whatever I want to do as long as I still feel like I'm saved at the end of the day, that in this case, Jonah who was called to be a prophet of Yahweh to go and save a whole nation, that for him, and this, for him to disobey and not live out the life, the practical things, what city to go to and where to be at and what to do with his hands and feet and what ship to get on, that the details of this part of the obedience of his life, that whenever it came to disobedience, it simultaneously meant Running from the presence of God. We just got done preaching to you on months on the significance of sonship, nearness to God, the presence of God, and every reason why you should be as near to him as possible. And right here, it looks like you can't say that you're near to God and not be doing what God told you to do at the same time. That's true. Is that right? Yeah. Are you, am I just making things up or do you guys see the things that I'm seeing here? No, that's a good word. Or in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses, it says, Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, says God. Furthermore, I have seen the oppressions with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now. Therefore, come now, Moses. And I will send you to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, What if they will not believe me or listen to me? For they might say, Lord, the Lord has not appeared to you. Guys, God is speaking over this church today, saying, Come, follow me with your new heart of sonship, with the strength that you now have, and follow me, and I will make you more than you have ever thought yourself to be. That's what every one of these stories had in common. Do you guys realize that? 
how often did, did God take a man who was already doing everything that he was called to do? Those men are faithful men. Those men are faithful men. And we do see them in scriptures. But very, very often, God calls a man who is a big disappointment to himself right now. Who doesn't feel like he's adding up to anybody. And says, if you want to feel near to me, if you want to be near to me, I'll make you near to me. And we're going to go and do everything that I'm calling you to do together and you will save nations. You will turn around cities. You will, you guys, most of the time we end up underestimating the level of impact that one single act of obedience can have in our lives. We're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just my job. It's just my, it's just like one week at church. It's just one fellowship. It's just, what is it? What is it in your life, church? That you're saying it's just, it's just this, it's just that. God has called every single one of you to something. But right now in your life today, if you don't know what all that looks like, you can take heart and know that as far as I know, every person in this room is called to be right here. True. And that if you follow Yeshua and you follow the God-ordained leaders that he's put in this place, you can take you can take heart that God will show you every next step to take. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't it encouraging that something that we tend to brush away as simple as discipleship, as a life of being a disciple of Christ, some, oftentimes under the authority and under the care of other men and women of God, is something that is so pivotal in your life that can determine how even if you are walking in the presence of God? We're going to show you guys some more about this today. Pastor Landon, what you got to say? Are you all ready to dig a, lit, dig a little deeper? Yes. Because I think we're going to, we plan to, uh, to dig really deep today. Yeah, come on. And uh, we dug really deep within ourselves, and it did wonders for us. And so we're about to dig really deep into you guys this morning. Y'all turn with me to Luke 14. And you're going to find chapter, uh, verse 25, and you're going to say, follow me when you get there. Luke 14, starting in verse 25, it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Church, this morning we're going to consider one thing first in regards to our discipleship with Jesus and our, God, and our God-ordained leadership that discipleship is with. And those things are this. Number one, have I counted the cost? Number two, have I given up everything that I have? Number three, Am I still preoccupied with some things that might be distracting me from giving my full attention to the work and the call the Lord has put before me this day? Or maybe more specifically, 
do I show more commitment to discipleship than any other thing in my life? If the answer is yes, then some of that fruit will show, some of the fruit that will show from that decision in your life is that you will even seem to hate your own life. Some translations say it will seem as though you hate your own life. How many of you guys, show of hands because this is fun, how many of you guys um, have run into a few different issues with maybe some family back home uh, based on the way that you might live your life or the way it might look to them? Come on, you reckless lovers of Jesus, <laughs> raise your hands. So that's more than half the room, and uh, by the end of your life, we're going to make sure everybody's raising their hand. And so that's okay, though, because the scripture says it will look as though you're wasting your life away. And that's... According to Luke, according to Luke 14, that's good fruit. That's fruit of discipleship is looking like you're giving your life away. It doesn't mean you are. Well, in reality, you are. You're giving it away to King Jesus and your brothers and your sisters and laying your life down on a daily basis. But to them, it'll look like you're just wasting your calling, wasting your God-given abilities. Man, but the Lord gave you those abilities. Yeah, and he asked me to lay them down. Maybe he'll let me pick them up again. But uh, you should probably lay them down first. So, side note, really quick. You can tell who is thriving in discipleship and who is not. It is obvious, it is blatant by the fruit displayed in your life. Yeah. So if by answering the question, do I show more commitment to discipleship than any other thing in my life, if you honestly answer that question and you come to a no, that's okay, too, because that's what we're going to fix in you this morning. Yeah. You're in the right place. Praise the Lord. Speaking of, Herman, I'm glad you're back. Amen. Haven't seen you in a minute. So let's pick up again in uh, verse 28 of Luke 14. Starting back up in verse 28, it says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Say everything. Let me uh, hit a little bit of things that might look like everything. When we say everyone, anyone who does not give up everything they have, the first word that comes to my mind is sacrifice. Yeah. Right? Sacrifice. So this might look different for some of you, but nonetheless, all of you are required to bring sacrifice. One of the things it might look like is a sacrifice of your time. To some of you, time is the most important thing you can have, whether it's family time, whether it's time with your spouse, time with your kids, time watching the football game, time eating dinner, friends, whatever it is, time is important to you. You need to sacrifice it sometimes. Sacrifice of your sleep. That's a big one for me. Morgan actually does this pretty well. The other night, he stayed at my house till around 1 or 2 a.m. and said, you know, the night before, I got maybe one hour of sleep. Uh, but I'm here because I love you guys, and I want to fellowship and talk about the Lord. Yeah. 
And so Morgan does this well. I'm still learning, and I know many of you are still learning too, but you have to sacrifice sleep. A sacrifice of your desires, your dreams, your goals, your talents. Here's those God-given abilities again. Those God-given abilities that the Lord may have blessed you with from the time you came out of your mama's womb. And praise the Lord, he did. And if you don't sacrifice them, according to Luke 14, according to Jesus himself, you cannot be a disciple of Christ. What about the uh, sacrifice of the worldly success and profitability of your business? Yep. Yeah, that too. That's it. What about your businesses? Are we hitting on some sensitive topics this morning? Yes. Yeah? That's a good thing. This is good. Say, this is good. Come on. Sacrifice of the worldly success and profitability of some of your businesses, some of your personal businesses. So today, church, we are not, this is what we are not doing. I am not standing here today questioning whether or not God gave you God-given abilities or talents or whether he gave you businesses for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, whatever it might be for some of you. I'm not questioning that he gave something to you. I'm questioning, have you given it up? And have you given it up in a way so as to not take it up again until he puts it back in your hand? Not that if it's, if it's, if it's within reach, oh, but he's bringing it. He's kind of tempting me with it. It's really close. And it's just right, if I just could reach out and touch it. Is he giving it to you or are you taking it? Because it, it can be as close as Cason is to me right now. The opportunity you could think is from the Lord as close, is as close to me as Cason is right now. But this is taking it. If Cason came in and merged with me and became one, he is then giving himself to me, right? I am not taking it. He is giving it to me. Pastor Landon. <laughs> Let's go on a uh, more PG homiletic. Let's do that. I want to quote something that Pastor Mike said a while back. And he said... I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, intimacy through proximity comes from next level sacrifice. Intimacy through proximity comes from next level sacrifice. Yeah. How close do you want to be? Just how far do you want to go in the call to follow? Yeah. So I'm going to read to you Luke 9 in regards to that quote by our pastor. Don't turn there. I'm going to read it to you. It's verses 57 through 62 of Luke 9. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I don't think he meant to rhyme, but he did. He says, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And what does Jesus say? No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back. No one who does not give up everything first is fit for service. This isn't even discipleship. This is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So... Our discipleship in Jesus through the leaders in our life, 
must be the core that everything else in our life revolves around. Yeah. More times than not, we find ourselves in a place where our discipleship actually ends up revolving around everything else that we have in our lives. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I haven't caught up on sleep. I haven't seen my wife in what feels like three weeks. Those things are actual, sometimes good reasons. But more often than not, we make them excuses. And I'm preaching to myself this morning, by the way. I've been, I was messed up last night about this. Um, but if this is the case, if discipleship revolves around everything else in our life and we choose to just fit it in where we can versus fit everything else in around discipleship, then we'll miss out on the opportunity to take the hand of someone else who has learned how to not only swim, but to thrive in the deep waters of intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. We'll remain in the shallow end of the kingdom, and man, we'll just be sitting there watching, jealously wishing that we could be in the deep end thriving with our king. Yeah. In Matthew 29, Jesus tells us that our reward will not only be to inherit eternal life, but also that in giving up everything and leaving it all behind, we will receive a hundred times as much yeah. as what we laid down. This kind of thriving only comes by giving up the things in our life that we have made to occupy the time by spending growing in these areas. The call always requires sacrifice. Say the call to follow. The call to follow. Always requires. Always requires. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Church, Jesus paid everything for us to be part of his kingdom. And salvation is free, yes. But it's the first step. It's initiation. We, like Jesus, must also pay everything we have to rightly fulfill our role in his kingdom as sun soldiers. We want to make a few things clear to you today, though, because you have, Jesus has called every one of us to go and make disciples of his in every nation, tribe, tongue, every people group, right? Right? Yeah. Amen. I like when y'all talk back with us, too. We want to make this clear because many might say, well, I don't need leaders in my life. I, I'm discipled by Jesus. Yes, of, of course, we're all discipled by Jesus. Welcome to Christianity. And, and God has established leadership, governance, and those who are responsible for you within the local church. Can we agree with that? Yes. There is order, church, to properly being discipled within the church. And I find it to be displayed in the way Paul wanted the church at Corinth to respond in the likeness of the church of Macedonia in regards to financially sacrificing. Pastor Landon was talking about some of the sacrifices we make whenever we decide to follow Jesus. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I actually want you to turn there with me. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Somebody say, follow me. Come on, guys. Somebody say, follow me. Follow me. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. <laughs> hey, brothers in Corinth, we want to let you know just how much God's grace has been flowing through 
the church down the road. <laughs> that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. Say abundance of joy. Abundance of joy. Say deep poverty. Deep poverty. Wow. We came out of both of those places. Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Ooh, you know what on. that means? That they had an abundance of joy. They had a deep poverty. And that from that overflow, a, an abundance, an, a, an abundance, a liberality, a, a vast amount came out of their church. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. No one had to coax them. No one had to, to do the, well, guys, don't you trust that as, as you give, it'll be given back unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and so many times back. And if you give today uh, um, just one gift of ninety nine ninety nine, then we promise that you will receive a two times return in 12 months, or you can have your money back. Maybe w- I was w- the only w- one who watched like church television whenever I was a kid. <laughs> Pastor Devin's trying to get the house rebuilt over here. <laughs> It says, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging to the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Isn't it awesome when the poor church begs for the opportunity to give everything they have for the greater mission to be accomplished? This is what God's kingdom looks like says, and this, this is what we're focusing on today, not as we had expected. Can you tell that even Apostle Paul was learning some new things along the way as your newer testament was being written? Yeah. It says, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of the Lord. It's a good word. Are you tracking with me today on what it means to be discipled in a local church by another man, by another woman of God? That you must first give yourself to the Lord that that person follows. And then by the will of the Lord, you will be given to a local church, to, a, to another man or woman of God who will take you by the hand and be an example to you of how to be a disciple of Jesus. First Jesus, then me. When we say follow me, first and foremost, it, it applies to Jesus. But I also mean follow me. Yes, and follow me too. You'd be like, oh man, those pastors at Remnant, they're, they're a prideful bunch. They just act like they know better than everybody else. They seem a bit entitled sometimes. Oh man. They're just too confident. I don't like the way that they say things. It offends me. (laughs) Philippians chapter 3 says this then in verse 7. But whatever whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. My intellect and my abilities that I came into this with aren't what inspires me to tell you to follow me. So call it prideful. 
call it arrogant. Your discernment is off. I didn't, I had to let those things die to be in the place that I'm in with Jesus today. I had to let my aspirations die. The same things that everyone around me in my life called reckless as I did not even have a competent man or woman of God to stand there in front of me when Jesus first appeared to me. And he just said, follow me. Stop everything you're doing. Stop building your kingdom. Stop, start building my kingdom, and I'll take care of the rest. Well, it'd be nice to have some architectural plans, a master builder around, and someone to teach me how to swing a hammer. That would be awesome, Lord. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to give it to you. I'm like, yeah, at seminary, right? He's like, no, I'm going to give you a man of God to, for you to walk with in your life who will teach you how to do these things. Come on. Good work. We're going back to Philippians 3. In verse 8, it says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We're not just talking about a higher quality or lower quality disciple when we're talking about whether or not you've given up everything. We're talking about whether or not you're a disciple or not a disciple of Christ. Have you given up the aspirations of your life to walk with him? Remember, the fruit will show. He says, suffered, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Sound familiar? That I may know him. Not that I may be a pastor on a shining stage with a million dollar house and everything I ever wanted in my carnal life mixed into my life of Jesus every says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that's why I give up everything pastor Mike said it as we were ending worship are you satisfied with everything he's given you furthermore are you willing to give all of it up if you feel like a sense of hesitation in you when we're talking about sacrifice or when we're talking about giving up on a specific subject, it's because you have not given it into his hands. Church, there's a trust on every subject of your life that you can have in him whenever you have genuine, like, we can see it, we can feel it. I know what it's like to be on both sides of that fence. I know what it's like to hold on to something so tight because, God, you promised it to me, and I just want to keep it. And then also be like, Lord, if it's still in my hands, it's because you've given it to me in my hands. Yeah. Landon was getting to this point earlier. What, what if Landon puts Judah to sleep at night and had taken a toy away from him as he was putting Judah to sleep? And he goes and he puts Judah in bed and leaves the toy out on the floor of the living room. And then Landon and Emily go to sleep as well. Is the fact that Landon left that toy out in the middle of the living room downstairs at their house, is that permission 
for Judah to get out of bed, open his door, walk down the stairs in the middle of the night and go and pick it up simply because it was available to him? No. We're talking about knowing Jesus. We're talking about being near to him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Not that, I'm, that, not that I might get whatever I want in my life and also maybe be called a disciple of Jesus at the same time. Where, where are your priorities at? That's what we want you to ask yourselves today. Where are your priorities at? He says in verse 10 that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. How cheap is your resurrection from the dead? How cheap is it? How little? Did you buy it on discount? When the traveling prophet came through town and spoke at your mega church and said that if you just tithe today, you'll be blessed by God? How cheap is that? And do you count it all as rubbish whenever you sacrifice it? Or do you spend the rest of your life weeping over the sacrifice that you made? Because I've been there. I've been there where I made the sacrifices that no one else was willing to do. And complained about it for weeks and months afterwards. Or it snuck up with me six months later and then I complained about it. Do you count it as rubbish? Or do you spend the rest of your life talking about your sacrifices? Philippians 3 continues with this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. This is the fullness of a bold man of God's speech right here. Not that I have already attained this. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The cost of what it took for you and me to be purchased. And we're looking for a discount on following Jesus. When we say follow me, we're like, yeah, but hey, I might be a little slower than everybody else because I got a big wagon of preoccupations with me. Okay. So I'm sorry if I'm a little slower than everybody at the church. It's just because everyone's so young and I can't keep up with them. No, you're weighed down. Have you ever seen anybody move in this, like in this day and age? You see the moving trucks that we use to move? The amount of stuff we bring with us everywhere we go? That is, if anything, a metaphor for our preoccupations of our lives. That we take traveling around with us and it takes forever to pack up and move anywhere. It takes the whole church coming in. I will go forever on this subject if y'all let me. Too many moving days. (laughs) He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward towards what is ahead. Do you know that whenever Pastor Landon and I are raising our hands and we're saying, follow me. We're not saying it because we're the perfect example. We're not saying it because we're qualified with a seminary degree. We're not saying that because we've had years of experience doing what we're doing. We're saying, follow me because God has ordained me to stand in this place. And because you can see on my life that I am following him. Y'all have to understand how humbling it is for us to stand in this place and say, follow me. 
how highly we think of some of you in this room and to consider that someone of that much sacrifice, someone who has given that much for Jesus, someone who knows their scriptures that well, God is calling me to say, follow me. You know how humbling that is on every part of this? But that's because everyone can stand together and say, I've counted it all as rubbish. It does, it, all my aspirations and all my accomplishments, accolades, intelligence, and everything else, it didn't count anything to me. So, yeah, I'll come and I'll learn. I'll come and I'll walk with you. Maybe God will bless it because he said he would. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is something worth striving for. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if any way you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. It's a little sarcasm in Greek. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You know, whenever we say, follow me, we're not saying it because we think that we're the perfect candidate for you. We're saying, and anyone else that you also know of walking in this way of life, look at our way of life, look at us in our way of life, and follow and imitate it. It's worth it. You've seen what it happens on the other side. And Okay, so I'm, maybe you don't want everything that I have in my life and every situation I've walked into, but I'm telling you that you won't hear from me that I, I've disliked it. I love everything that God has walked me into, and if you have the blessing of the opportunity of living the life that I get to live, church... I, I would pay any price for it. I would go back and pay twice as much to get where I am today. For many of whom I have often told you, Paul says in verse 18, and now tell you even more with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. For their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their desires their hunger, their desires, their hunger, everything else other than him. Don't take belly as, as one of those tacky things that we do when we try to make everything uh, in the Bible, particularly like a, uh, I, I just say because I did this for years, I'm not picking on the, all you very fit, good-looking gym people in here, where we make all the gym or the discipline statements in the Bible out to be metaphors for fitness. That's not what we're talking about. Their God is not their belly as in they have a bad diet in their flesh, maybe, yeah. possibly. Their God is their belly because every hunger pang that they have for an aspiration in their life, the things that they can't seem to help themselves on, it's like, God, but you don't understand I've been single for a long time, and it's just hard to control these feelings that I have inside of me. Or, God, don't you know that I have a big family to provide for, and I have to go and earn this much money to be able to do everything for them and also do everything that I want to do too? It says, their end is destruction is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So maybe you didn't feel like the first three applied to you. What about the last one? Minds set on earthly 
things. Do not set your mind on the things of this world, but set your mind on things above. What if I told you that you probably fit into the other three simply because you and I can fit into the fourth one? Would that make you consider the distractions of your life a little bit more seriously? You're like, man, I don't want to fit into those categories. But I do think about earthly things and I do tend to build my life around earthly aspirations or earthly comforts. Church, then we have some room to grow, don't we? But our citizenship, our citizenship in this church is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, we want you to be able to confidently get up from wherever you are at in your life and know that every single sacrifice is worth the cost to get up and follow me, to follow Yeshua, to follow what God is doing in this place among this group of people. It is worth giving up any aspirations and just see, just test and see if God will not still let something remain in your hand. But if he takes it, it's because he loves you and he's got something better for you. Are these things striking a chord in your heart this morning? They should be, because they have in us, as I think you can plainly see in Pastor Case. And if there was one word to describe him as he was preaching, I think it would be Una Shamed. Una Shamed. <laughs> Church, when Paul says in Philippians 3, when Paul says, imitate me, or as we've been saying, follow me, as I follow Christ, he does not only specifically mean in the practical actions, not only the earthly things. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how some of these earthly things can actually be good. Some of them can actually be good. So, so my wife and I lived with pastors Kaysen and Kendall for over two years. Hands down, one of the biggest blessings of my life. But there are quite a few things that we learned from them and maybe some mannerisms and quirks along the way that we picked up from them Uh um, as we followed them and as we did our best to imitate their way of following Christ. So let's consider this for a second. If the I'm not even getting what the mannerisms are. I'm sure you guys can tell. If you have a disciple in this room and you've lived with them or you are close with them, you will start to look like them in some odd ways. And this is where things can actually be okay. Sometimes. So let's consider this on that note. If the mannerisms that I picked up along the way living with Pastor Kaysen and Emily with Pastor Kendall, (laughs) if these things that we picked up along the way and following them were good, Yet we did not imitate things along the way such as the intimacy that I've personally seen Pastor Kaysen has with the Lord on a day-to-day basis. Or the fatherly characteristics that Pastor Mike carries so well on a day-to-day basis. If we are imitating how our discipler says something, or the way he carries himself, or, or maybe the way you see him talk to his son or his daughter, If we imitate these things, they they can be good. They are not inherently wicked. 
But if by doing so we miss out on implying, in implementing rather, the intimacy, the love for their spouse, the desire to see sons made in the kingdom, the desire to see the lost come home, the desire to see the fatherless fathered. If we miss out on these things in our disciples, then those things actually cause us to completely miss the point of biblical discipleship. If we make it all about what Pastor Kaysen does or what Pastor Mike does or, or how Devin's so beautifully playing with Zion right now, if I want to imitate that, I can go sit over there and love on my son. But does that mean I'd actually be carrying out the characteristic itself of a father or just imitating it from the exterior shell that Devin is showing, right? So aspiring to look like your discipler in and of itself can produce good fruit, but making it the priority or main focus of your discipleship can lead to your glorification of the man, which is idolatry. I have That's been right. there. That right there, everything I just mentioned, that can lead to idolatry. Yeah. That is idolatry. That's right. Right? So we can look like our discipler all we want, and it doesn't mean anything. Right? We are called to represent Christ. And if my desire is to represent Christ that I see in Cason on a day-to-day -day basis, then I'll know I'm doing something right. And yeah. I, if I pick up a few mannerisms along the way, praise the Lord. It's just that much more fun. He's <laughs> handsome anyways. I mean, I want to be more like him every day as it is. Wow. Amen. I want you to turn to Matthew 7 with me. I'm so used to Pastor Devin getting all the compliments. Sheesh. <laughs> Find verse 21. Matthew 7:21, not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons and perform miracles of every kind? Then I will look at them and tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. These are men and women of God who are calling themselves Christians, saying, Lord, I, I do my best to look like you. I do my best to do what you do. And what does the Lord say? You are wicked. Be Any, gone from my sight. Anybody got the jungle book, like, going in their head? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to look like you. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract us right now. <laughs> Idolatry. Just, the song is playing in my head right now. So they're saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do what you do? Did we not look like you? We, we tried to repeat everything that we saw, and maybe to some extent it worked. It doesn't clarify. I don't know. But how often does the Lord, in his grace and mercy, allow us to actually complete things or allow us to fulfill things that he's given us but maybe weren't in the right timing, right? So, yeah, I'll leave that on the shelf. Anyways, some of you in here this morning are being discipled appropriately, 
and have appropriately centered your lives around discipleship. I mentioned it earlier, and I'm going to ask you guys again. Have you allowed discipleship to dictate the way you live? Do you show more commitment to discipleship than anything else in your life? We're going to test you guys this morning as we all call ourselves disciples of Christ and of this ministry. We need you to check your hearts. Is this the way that you show commitment to discipleship or is the way of life that you desire to live dictating the way you live and operate as a disciple of Christ? Stop and just say la. Like, th think about that for a minute. Do you center your life around following Jesus and then fit things like jobs and careers and, and children's activities and extracurriculars and aspirations and all that kind of stuff in around it? Or do you do the other way around? Be really honest with yourself today. This isn't so that you can feel criticized today. It's that we all want to grow and move forward together, right? Right. right. So just stop and consider this today because we don't want to see not one person feeling like they're lagging behind. Not one. We want to move forward together in unity, in one mind and one body as a church. And we do not want one of you to walk out of here with a misconception as to whether or not you are prioritizing this or prioritizing your preferred way of life. Yeah. So I want to take the opportunity to give you a few examples as I get intimate with my family here of what discipleship looked like a few practical examples with the Showbirds and the Ray family so I did quite a few things wrong um, but there were some things I got right and from what we've preached on thus far I don't think we need to tell you the things that are wrong um, I think it's been made pretty obvious, and I think the Lord will continue to reveal the things to you that are wrong. You know wrong. our lives well enough. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, that's good. So we're gonna, I'm going to show you a few things that it did look like in a practical way. And this might not look the same for everybody, but it gives you an idea of what discipleship can and should look like. So hopping in the truck with Pastor Kaysen just to be with him wherever he goes just to be with him wherever he goes. If Jesus went to pray, his disciples went with him. There were times he'd be like, yo, just give me some room. Let me pray to my father. And they're like, no, you don't understand. We have to be with you everywhere you go. There were times I did it well and times that I was like, I don't want to go with you. I'm too tired. I'm too lazy. I want to play this video game. I want to talk to my wife, but really just kind of ignore her and just lay on the bed and kind of, oh, I'm tired. It's dangerous when you start using righteous excuses. That's, that's a dangerous road to travel down. When you start using your spouse or your kids who are very, the very blessing that your heavenly father gave you, and you use them as an excuse to dip out on your discipleship. And then don't participate in either one yes, of them. Yes, it's a two-part. You do it, and if you actually use it in the way that you said you were going to use it, I can handle that. But when you don't follow through, and when we catch up with you guys over dinner a few weeks later and, and, and your wife or your husband's like, yeah, that, that wasn't how that happened. Let me save you the awkwardness of that conversation. I have been there. We're like, Pastor Mike, man, it stinks that that brother wasn't able to hang out with us tonight. But, man, I guess he must be really sewing into his wife this evening. So maybe we can see a really strong marriage developing right now in the 
weeks to come. Oh, oh, wait. Neither one of them were happening. So what were you doing that whole time? Nothing productive, tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so being with Pastor Kaysen as much as I possibly could when I was doing it right, going with him wherever he goes, sitting with, this one was big for me, sitting with him in his prayer closet until 3 in the morning. Well, maybe after dinner we hang out as a, as a house. Maybe we go out on dates with our wives. We come back home, 11 o'clock, midnight rolls around, kids are in bed. Where's Pastor Kaysen at? What's he doing? Go in the office, there he is on the floor weeping in the presence of the Lord. And I could be like, oh, he's busy, I don't want to bother him. I can't, I can't be around him because if I do, it could distract him. Or you could go get on your face with him and be impacted by the same presence that is changing his heart radically. So hopping in the truck, just being with him wherever he goes. Spending time with your leaders in intimacy with the Lord. Doing daily life well, this is big, while I watched him minister. So quickly we want to put into practice what we see and what we're learning. But the point of follow me is to watch and learn from our leaders. Is to watch and learn from our leaders as they spend time carrying out the call in their lives so that we can turn around and actually properly carry these things out when we do, when the time does come to try. Right? So if I spend all my time just trying to immediately do what Kaysen does and just do what Pastor Mike does and do what Pastor Devin was, just worship like Pastor Devin worships and preach like Pastor Mike preaches, if I just wanted to hop right in and implement those things, I would get it wrong more times than not. And I might anyways. But at least I know I was trained rightly and gave the Lord some time to work something into me in the season that he has me in, right? So me submitting my hopes and desires, my hopes, my desires, my wants to his life and schedule or to my pastor's life and schedules, not my own preferences of what I want us to do when we hang out or where I want us to go eat when we go to dinner. If I don't want to go to Cigar Frogs, I'm going to Cigar Frogs. Because that's where my pastors are at. <laughs> this is the lifestyle that we have to live. You lead, I'll follow. Yeah. That's it. You lead, I'll follow. I watched Pastor Kaysen get things wrong and right, right and wrong. And he was the first to tell me if he was wrong. He never hid anything. He also didn't have the opportunity to hide anything. <laughs> because I was so close to him. Right? <laughs> So there are just some practical, these are just a few practical examples of what it looks like to get it right. But these practical action items instilled in me, instilled in me a desire to not only look like my pastors, but to also act upon what I saw and carry these things out for myself and my own personal walk with the Lord and with my family, right? This is what we hope will encourage you this morning. Again, we're not here this morning to discourage you. We're not here to tell you everything you're doing wrong and then just leave you with no solution. <laughs> that is a terrible place to be. And you are not in that room this morning. Yeah. Our goal is to move as one body in these things so that we can all grow closer in discipleship and in proximity to each other and to Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> just got to let him watch. The call to follow necessitates 
a leaving of whatever has preoccupied your time, energy, and resources. Yeah. Guys, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you're retired, whether you're whatever, in school, everybody's gone through the same difficulties. There might be a few things here and there that are special to your life, but I promise there is no fiery ordeal that is foreign to God. He, he understands everything you're going through. Yeah. We understand that things are difficult in your life. Things have been difficult in our lives too, but we have watched, I have watched, I have participated in and being discipled in my own life. And then I got to all of a sudden feel a tap on my shoulder one day of someone making themselves abundantly available to just be like, hey, can I walk with you while you're doing that? I'm like, me? I, I'm, I don't have a title. I'm not a pastor. Yeah, yeah, but what I see happening in your life, I want to happen in my life. Can I? Can I stay with you? <laughs> the Showbirds did not ask for the Ray family to move in. No, Okay, let's we make didn't. this clear. That was a there was literally a tap on their shoulder. That was a surprise bed bug infestation at the Ray's apartment that set them in our house. But we don't have bed bugs anymore. <laughs> we're two years, we're three years removed. We're all good. We're clean. We're washed. Guys, this oftentimes looks like, uh, like uh, sacrificing. Uh, like It often looks like opportunities of sacrifice but may also be observed as something you continue to possess, but know that you only have it in your open hand because your Father in heaven has left it in your open hand. That's good. These are principles that I've watched Emily Ray teaching their, uh, Landon's children for years now. Open hands, open hands, open hands. I hear it over and open hands. I'm like, wow, I wish all the adults at Remnant Church would learn that one. Open hands. Open hands. Guys, the things in our lives, the things in my life, if I sit there and I hold them like this, I'll, I'll be vulnerable with you today. Pastor Mike said it earlier. If I hold on to that promise that God spoke over me of children to come in my life and I held on to it like this and I centered my life around that blessing manifesting in my life and my attitude was determined on whether or not it was manifested, depression or anxiety, frustration, distrust with God or anything like that was, was all centered around whether or not this promise that I have gripped onto is coming to life or not then I've lost the whole point of it. I'm too focused on the promise and not the promise giver, right? On the promise keeper. He, if I really trust him, then I can sit there like this. And whatever it is that's in my hand, it's there because he gave it to me. The call to follow behind or after someone, church, requires you to take the position of student or passenger, disciple, and yes, even subordinate. Ooh, no one likes oh, don't that say one. That word. No one likes that one. And does not at first look like a partnership. So often we walk into somebody else's life wanting to learn their way of life, and I have been the king of it in my life. And I'm so busy trying to look competent and look like an equal that I forgot about the blessings of saying, yeah, I'm along for the ride. I, I don't know where we're going. I don't know how to get there. 
I don't know how to get to this place that you've been to. It's much like someone sitting in the backseat of a car, right? You're like, are any of you backseat drivers? Y'all know what that is, right? Y'all don't backseat, hide. Be backseat honest. Backseat drivers. All the husbands reach for their wives. and some, Oh, Linda's just honest. Come on. No, that, that's, what that, that's what it is. But you notice that, like, your opinions and your input whenever you are in the passenger station in that relationship and not a co-pilot position in that relationship, what that looks like, even if you give your input, it's not offensive to the one who's piloting, yeah. right? 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 It's not offensive to the pilot if somebody in the backseat gives gives some instructions on what to do because you're like uh you don't know how to fly i know how to fly you don't know how to get where we're going i know how to get where we're going it's okay you know and it's not offensive so we're not saying shut up sit down and get discipled we're saying consider for a minute you might not know how to do what you want to do consider for a minute that maybe the reason that you need to be discipled is the fruit is not in your life that you want to be in your life and you see in somebody else's life. That might require you to spend more time listening, less time talking, more time watching, less time commenting. Take some notes, ask some questions when it's the right time, and grow. Then we can grow together. Then we can all move together. This requires one to admit that they do not know how to get to the place where they want to, to go. So gladly they take that back seat and make it to a destination. Then they understood how to get there and then appreciated where they went. And that's what ends up qualifying them to be able to do it for someone else. This does not remove the opportunity, though, church. Listen to me, because this is where Philippians 3 comes into play. Are you with me? This does not remove the opportunity for one to lead someone else in a specific subject they have not experienced themselves. It only means that the one leading must be very in tune with the Holy Spirit as their steps are being guided with others in their trail behind them or with them. Husbands, have you ever felt like you're leading your family in something that you have no idea how to get through, but you're just trusting that God will give you the wisdom on how to get through it? If you're a husband and you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. <laughs> what he said. Just imagine what your pastors feel like sometimes. Maybe we haven't gone through the, a perfect example of every single thing you're being led in, but just like you trust your husband's wives, just as you trust your parents, kids, if you just honor the God-ordained leadership and relationship in your life, God will speak to your leaders, and you will receive the proper direction on how to get where you need to go. We're going to get to uh, a few practical issues here. Are you ready, Pastor Landon? I'm more than ready. Come on. We're going to get to a few practical examples What's this, uh, what are we at first here? So, Pastor Kaysen, I just have to, I have to talk to you. You see, I have a lot on my plate. Welcome to the, welcome to the club. I have a lot on my plate. I have school to get through. I just have, I'm just having a really hard uncomfortable, stressful time at work. I've had some pretty bad customers. My work schedule's pretty busy. My boss is down mm. my back. Mm. 
I just need to take the time to get my business working rightly. If it would just work right for me, then after all these things were in order, then I would have time to follow you like you're telling me to. Mm. Well, Landon, I say to you, Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Focus your mind on things above and not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is our life, appears, then you will too will appear with him in glory. Landon, don't you know that everything we live for culminates at the time of the resurrection? I do now. So, so which one are you going to live for, Landon? Are you going to live your life focused on the, the things that are going to burn? Or are you going to live your life focused on the things that are eternal? Well, it sounds like I should let discipleship be the core and following Jesus be the core of everything else in my life. I think that's the right answer based on what you just told me. Amen. Or pastors, don't you understand? My family will think I'm crazy for doing what you are talking about. And my wife just doesn't like how much time I spend being discipled. Well, hey, Pastor Kaysen, let me first let you know you're not the only one. Good. Okay? Let's go back to Luke 14 for a second. What did Jesus say the fruit would be? The fruit would be... That, as Jesus says, you'll be persecuted as he's persecuted. So welcome to the club. He also told us that a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. So what makes you any different than anyone else in this room? Right? So, Pastor Case, in Luke 14, I'm going to read it to you again. It says, when you follow me, when? Jesus is being gracious. It's not if any longer. It's when you follow me. When you follow me as your, my disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your nieces, your nephews. Unc hmm, never mind. That's a landed interpretation. That's a, that's a me interpretation. Pastor Kaysen, this is throughout the entirety of your Bible. This is not new to anybody. It's not even new to Jesus. You can be encouraged today that Jesus walks the same things you're walking through right now. And we are all walking through the same thing you're walking through right now. And you can be encouraged because it should be expected. And what it means is that you are bearing good fruit. You are bearing good fruit from above, and your life is producing abundant life. Amen. So, so it's so, okay, so you've, you've given me an answer on uh, having a lot on my plate, and, and I've given you the answer, quite frankly, on, uh, on my family thinking I'm crazy. But uh, I don't exactly feel close enough to my leaders to follow like this. Landon, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Maybe part of the problem is, is that when we don't feel very attached to those that we know God has set in our life to be leaders, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a pastor or, in a, or a discipler. Maybe the reason we don't feel all that close to them is because you're not following them in the first place. What if 
you following them is what's going to produce the relationship. Yeah. Landon, did you feel very close to me whenever you moved into the home that God gave us? Being completely transparent, I felt the farthest away from you. Yeah. Well, that changed over time. All of the connection and everything else came after a moment of saying, yes, that's where I want to go. I'm following you. Yeah. Or I don't feel like I can trust people like that. How do I know they have my best interest in mind for my life? Well, Pastor Kaysen, you can look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, and read it. And it says, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and even teachers, to prepare God's people for works of the service so that the body of Christ might be built up, not torn down. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, Pastor Kaysen, you can rest confidently knowing that the Lord has placed in your life equippers, and you will become the equipped because the Lord has raised up pastors and leaders in your life, yeah. fathers in your life, yeah. to go before you and show you the proper way to carry these things out. And they will equip you along the way so that you can then turn around and equip the ones who tap on your shoulder and say, hey, I want to follow you when you weren't expecting it. Right. Yeah. Amen. So did these sound silly to you guys? No, it sound pretty reasonable, practical. Some of them might have even been heard from your own mouths at some point. What about this one? Pastor Mike. Oh, Pastor Mike. These pastors that you've raised up and placed here, they're so young. So young. They're babies. They're old enough to be my kids. Some of you, my grandkids. Others of you, they're the same age as me. How can I learn from someone who's my age or even younger than me? And Pastor Mike would say, <laughs> that it's dangerous. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I promise I'll represent you well. You love me, right? Amen. Come on. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14 through 21 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. That's the problem. You don't have many fathers. True. For I became your father, Paul says, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. But where is Paul? He ain't there. He's writing the letter. Somebody else delivered the letter. Why would he write the letter if he was standing there with them? So how are they going to imitate him? Think for a minute. That is why I sent you Timothy. Come on. My beloved and faithful son in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant. Some are arrogant. Some are arrogant. As though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power. 
For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So Landon, what I, what I would say is that the, if you want to have a culture that raises fathers, if you want a culture that's short on fathers, that's short on older men being able to lead the way that we want to see this done, that a father might have to raise up some sons and put them on display for everyone to see every fault, every mistake, every wrongdoing, every time they say something wrong, every time they say something right, every time they do something good, and that they would get to put their lives under a microscope, and those sons would get to live under a microscope the rest of their life so that you might see how a good father raises up good sons who might even sometimes not get it right every time. That's a good word. That you might see our progress. That we might be a witness to our Father in heaven and to those who have laid down their lives to father us so that you can see what good fathering does. That's a revolutionary idea, Landon. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Thank Lord. you, Pastor Mike. Oh. Oh, yeah, amen. What Pastor Mike said. Pastor Landon, I'm sorry you and no one else in this church have heard from me other than church meetings for weeks. Our kids just seriously fill up our schedule, and they've even been sick. Even been sick, really. Is my wife in this room? Hey, so I guess what, what Kason's saying doesn't apply to us and our three kids, huh? Just everybody else, not us? No, that's not the case, guys. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Sick children are a reward from your Father in heaven. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons or daughters born in one's youth. Blessed. Woo, somebody say blessed. Blessed. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The more kids, the better. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. So, Pastor Kaysen, your spiritual sons and daughters and soon-to-be physical sons and daughters are not and will not ever be a burden to you. Church, you being discipled does not revolve around the agenda of your children. Your children's feelings on how you live your life, let's be real for a second. If, if Judah is talking to me and he says, Daddy, I would just rather, and well, you know, I can speak Judah. So In I'm just going to interpret. In a coherent way. <laughs> I'm just going to make it easy to interpret for you guys, right? So Judah comes to me and says, Dad, Dad, well, I actually... I actually was just thinking I, maybe I just wanted to stay home and, and, and just play with my toys instead. I just, think that, I just think that'd be more fun than sitting quietly and obediently in a church service for three hours. Hmm. I don't care. <laughs> I don't. And the Lord doesn't either. But we've made it to where our kids dictate our lives. So, Pastor Kaysen, your discipleship does not revolve around the agenda of your children. They are the very reason you are being discipled. 
Listen to me. They're the very reason you are being discipled so that you can turn around and disciple them. Because Pastor Mike isn't raising sons to disciple others just so that we can then turn around and disciple who they should be discipling. We are meant to pass this thing on generation to generation. And the only way that we get there is if our kids come with and they don't just get to do their own thing, but that we show them the way of life that we are to live. We have time for one more of these maybe? Yeah, come on. Pastor Kaysen, it's good to see you again. I'm sorry I haven't been around much the last few weeks. Where you been? Well, you see, we've been traveling a lot. It's, uh, it's my slow season at work, and uh, we just want to make sure that we have the time and energy to do what we want to do because we enjoy doing what we want to do. Hmm. Well, Pastor Landon, I'd say to you and Emily, Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born from or for a time of adversity. Okay. Well, brothers and sisters, whether you're in, tire, in retirement, whether you're, it's your slow season at work, or your kids are on break, <laughs> you have the choice to make, you have the ability to make this choice every season of your life. I find it hard to love someone closely when you don't spend time together. I find it especially difficult to have the bond that comes from being discipled together or being discipled by that person whenever you're not there to stand through adversity together. Just imagine the disciples coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, so sorry I've been gone for a little while. What, What did I miss? What did I miss? Did you hear that in the Bible at any point? Hey, I'm sorry. What what did I miss, Jesus? Oh, you mean he got crucified? He what? He got crucified? Oh, and he raised the dude from the dead? Man, I wish I was there. A friend loves at all times, Pastor Landon. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. We're meant to go through these things in life together. And where it's fun, Pastor Landon, to go on a vacation, and where it's fun to go and spend time with family, you have to decide with your family in prayer, with your wife, every week, every month, every season, what the focus of your life is. And you have to decide whether the aspirations of your life are most important or maybe what is it that Jesus wants from your family in this season. That's a good word. Church, we're coming to a close. We believe that you are hearing the point here. Some of these examples are taken from our own lives, and some of them were taken from you. The point is, every one of us, every one of us, have come up with a reason not to get up and leave everything to follow him. We don't say these things to shame you. We say these things to say, what else is there to go to? When Jesus is standing on the mountainside, he says, Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. We've given up everything. Where else will we go? There's no plan B to this, Jesus. You're saying, go ahead and go back and leave like everybody else. But I didn't leave a plan B. That's what discipleship is. 
That's what a life of being a disciple of Jesus looks like. There's not a plan B. It's whatever you say, Lord. And if you put me here in this church, then I believe that you've put me in this church to be led here in this church. That I might have the opportunity, the blessing to follow. And maybe I'll learn. Maybe I'll get to do everything that I see exemplified. And even the things that I don't see yet, I believe, God, that you're going to give this church revelation for my family and everyone else here to grow together. But I'm willing to say this, Lord, I will follow you. Say it. I will follow you. I will follow you. I will you. follow you, Lord, even if I don't see what's next. Church, our goal today is not to harass you. In fact, we do not desire to do so at all. When Jesus said, follow me to his disciples, that's the three who were always with him, the 12 or the 70 or, or the multitude outside of that, he did not sit and negotiate with them. Many of you have been here for several years now, and some of you shorter than that, but no one in this room, but no one in this room is a stranger. For Peter, James, and John, a man they hardly knew invited them to follow him. They only saw that he had the words of life and that he was peculiar, peculiarly, peculiar, peculiarly, got it, different from them. What if that gives you permission today to not feel like you have to know every detail of the person that's telling you, follow me? What if you don't have to know everywhere where that goes, but you trust that the Holy Spirit will lead them and lead you wherever he so desires, and that yeah. together you'll get to have the joy of building a relationship that will not even last to the end of your life, but for the entire eternity of the age to come? What if you'll get to know that you'll get to stand side by side with each other before King Jesus in the age to come, holding your sheaves of fruit between you because you did it together? This is what discipleship looks like. Can you all stand with me? We want all the blood flowing in your brains. Stand up with me as we close this out with you today. You know, I never thought, entering in a land, this would be our most offensive message. There's so many things in the gospel that can offend your flesh. So many things. But for some reason in this land, when you say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that's offensive. To a lot of people in this place, it's been the most offensive thing that we have said since we've gotten here. We have gotten the most persecution, the most affliction from believers for this particular message. And all we did was parrot what the word said. Maybe the issues with the word. Mark, Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those that he wanted. We spent a couple months reminding you that you were wanted by God. When he calls you out, it's to remind you that he wants you. 
It is his desire that you would be with him. And they came to him. But it is a response by you that must be had. And that response does come with a cost. It costs you your life every time. And he appointed them, the 12, designating them to be apostles. Jesus did not say, follow me perpetually and make a bunch of followers. Jesus raises leaders. That's what apostles are. As though Jesus left his sandals on the ground, he ascended and then put and said, make the choice. Put your feet in my sandals and you be me on this planet while I am seated in the heavens on your behalf. That, my friends, is called leaders, and that's what you are. Christians are not mindless followers. We are lovers of God who made a choice to follow him at the cost of our life because we are reciprocating what he initiated. He appointed them, apostles, leaders, that they might be with him. There's only one way to be with Jesus, and you must follow him and be with him no matter what it costs you. Because it's going to cost you something every time to be with him where he is. But that is his desire, that you would be with him where he is. And that they might, and that he might send them out. Your life's no longer your own. To preach. How many of you know we're not the only preachers in the room? Every single one of you are preachers. When's the last time you worked on your sermon? And to have authority to drive out demons. We've said it many times. You can't tear down strongholds if you can't turn off the TV and spend time with Jesus. And you only learn that by being with other men and women who have already accomplished that. Verse 20. And so Jesus enters a house with these men, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family, Jesus' family, heard about this, they went to take charge of him, and they said, you are out of your mind. Welcome to the kingdom. We are out of our mind. And when we're out of our mind, it's for your sake. And when we're in our right mind, well, it's so we can gather something for you. Either way, we are taking our stand on the core of what this ministry is birthed from, discipleship. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for you. Jesus didn't come to make followers. He laid down his life to make leaders, to equip them, empower them, and send them. We are here so that you would be empowered, equipped, and sent. Maximize what God has called you to be. This is our only desire. We're not hiding it. It's why we exist. We exist for you because Jesus exists for us. That is the reality of this Bible that you held in your hand. So when we say imitate us as we imitate Christ, we mean if you see Christ in us, imitate that part. If you see some flesh in us, don't imitate that part. And please do tell us about it. 
because we'll show you what it looks like to crucify it. Either way, we are moving forward together. This is a eat my flesh, drink my blood message. Eat the flesh, drink the blood, or go somewhere else where you can sit and watch somebody else do it. We are either here together, moving forward together, or you guys will be left behind because you don't want to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the kingdom of God. Somebody has got to tell you that. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word that penetrates soul and spirit. We thank you for your word, Lord God, that divides, Lord God, the things that are not of you and only leaves what, Lord God, is eternal. We thank you for your word that pierces our soul and leaves us, Lord God, standing with you with no longer having divided devotions. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you for the harvest in this land. And we say crucify anything in us, Lord God, that will keep us from having a full harvest in this land that we can lay down at your feet. Mighty God, we love you. And we thank you for empowering us to follow you, Lord God, until the end of the age. In the name of Jesus, we pray.